Halo, halo, Sacred Icon listeners. We used to do ads for other people, but I decided, why don't we do one for ourselves? Whether you're here listening to us for the first time or you've heard every episode, I'd like to briefly tell you what we're about and how you can support us. We have been doing this podcast since 2019, and with that has come lots of changes. We started as a primarily Halo-only show, but have evolved, combat evolved, over the years to talk about a wide variety of things in the realm of nerd culture. As you can imagine, we've made numerous changes to our platforms, usernames, and emails over the years, so now is the time for me to set things right and give the Covenant back their bomb. You can join our Discord by clicking the link included on our podcast feed. You can also send us an email or a voice message at sacrediconpodcast at gmail.com. We have a YouTube channel at youtube.com slash sacredicon, and we no longer use Twitter or X or whatever else the kids are calling it these days. So if you see someone who looks like us there, just know it's not us. Lastly, you can support us on patreon.com slash sacredicon and receive a bevy of bonus content. We're so glad you chose us to be the voice in your ear on this particular day and hope you enjoy the episode ahead. Halo, halo, everybody. Welcome back again like a butt crack to episode 55. We're live. At the secret, like a book show. Yeah. there's Dizzy. Uh, I'm your co-host Joel <laughs> Josh. Brian's Brian's Bane Brian, and back again uh, to take us into round two of this. Along for this this little cooperative journey that we're doing uh, is Alex Haruspis. Alex, welcome back. How you? Hello there. Ooh, General I always have to be that. It's just it's I love it. Go to. Did you guys, Brian? Have you watched the holiday special yet? No, I really want to. I just have. Did you, Alex? My partner and I are going to be watching it very soon. Okay, okay. There's a, there's, there's a hello there moment in there, and it's my favorite part. That's all I'm going to say. So, yeah, it's so good. Uh, yeah, guys, uh, we are back to cover more in last week's episode with the, the Halo 4 retrospective stuff. Uh, we were talking sort of about the passing of the torch, uh, sort of caring and where things were at with uh, Bungie at the time and the transition. So we didn't get through that, <laughs> obviously, as you guys no doubt heard. So we got a lot more to talk about with that. And uh, we'll dive right into it. Uh, I'm going to kick things off with kind of what we talked about a little bit briefly before, but we can kind of play a little catch up. Uh, Frank O'Connor said, as much as we were starting to build a basis for Halo 4, most of the effort and energy was going into building a team from scratch and we couldn't cut corners. This was a Halo game. So we had to get the best people. And when I read this, that kind of took me to a point again to reflect, like we kind of talked about this, you know, briefly in the last episode, but like, it not only are you making a new Halo game and you're a new studio, but with that comes trying to bring all these people together that you don't know, that you don't have this history uh, with, and you're trying to make uh, perhaps like one of the biggest, you know, if not the biggest franchise at the time uh, in gaming. You know, you're trying to 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 continue that legacy. And it's not, it's not like, you know, it's not like basically like Bethesda took it over and was like, okay, we're going to try to make, you know, Halo 4. It's like, no, you have, you're literally building from scratch this, you're assembling this team and putting them together. You don't even know how this is going to work, but you're also within that trying to figure out, you know, what story you want to tell and what new ideas you want to bring into the fold. I mean, what do you guys think about that? That's got to be tremendously difficult, right? A bit I scary. believe uh, Josh Holmes in a retrospective uh, broke down the maths as being like, we were adding like 15 new people to the team every week as we were going, you know, it, it's a lot of people to be adding like on a sort of rolling basis to build from a handful of people up to a studio of two to 300. 
and um, 343 uh, didn't actually hit the 300 mark for uh, the number of employees until after the game shipped and they were working on uh, you know Spartan Ops continuing that story and everything so it was a turbulent journey to uh, to go through and one where uh, Tim Longo has referenced this in even in the Halo, an official Halo 5 Vidoc where he's like man the stories I heard about Halo 4's development just whoa, whoa. <laughs> It's uh, funny because uh, before I before I pass over to you, Brian. Sorry, I just have to say like, it's funny because before doing this stuff, I, I, Halo Four was one of the dev cycles where I didn't. It didn't seem like from the outside that there was a lot of issues. You know, like you don't hear about it as much as you hear as like Halo Three and some of the other games. Hmm. But wow, yeah, definitely. It's not a Halo game if it's not uh, killing you to make it. Apparently. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what were you gonna say, Brian? Yeah, talk, yeah, talk. You know, like the you've heard you've heard people at Bungie say like, oh, people got divorced, people you know ended relationships. And Paul Bertone like, oh, talked about having to put his dog in a kennel for Halo Two. Yeah, it's it's, it's awful. Um, but you know, this is and this is something we'll probably touch on many times through all these episodes. And, and obviously, there's gonna be people out there that say, wow, I could not disagree with you more, Brian. But to, but to me. Halo 4 as a product, it just seems so, so high quality. It blows my mind. It was made under these under these circumstances of building a studio, rolling people in on as the game's being built. Building a studio and a game at the same time. I mean, it's it's almost like it's one of those deals where it's like even if Halo 4 is not your favorite game, you can you can you can recognize the quality of it, the the production values, the the aspirations and you know, when I, I got that game at launch, you know, it had fun multiplayer it had a great campaign it had the beginning of spartan ops you know it had i, I loved you know i know the music was different but it had this great music and um it just the, the, pres- the present just this presentation values were off the charts it was it's probably the most beautiful looking 360 game i'd ever played and it's like you know for for the fact that this is one of the most popular gaming franchises of all time and this is a brand new studio from scratch making their first effort at it i'm like there's a conversation to be had that Halo 4 is the best Halo game ever made. I, I'm not saying that's objective. I'm just saying that like that it is in it deserves the conversation. To be and like yeah. how how like it just blows my mind. How can this even be in the conversation for best Halo game on, made under the circumstances? It, it, blo- it amazes me. It amazes me. A confluence of talent is what I sort of like to sort of use the expression of because what these people came together to make and you know under the circumstances they were working is just incredible that what they what they ended up with from that starting point it's just you know any any game really is like it's amazing that they get made because of all the sort of like different moving parts that you got to keep up with but there's one i just feel like when you know that context you can't help but appreciate the final product more and you sort of understand why some of the things that maybe you take issue with are the way that they are yep. yeah yeah absolutely it's, 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 go ahead it's, i was gonna say it's almost kind of like you know we we as like fans it's easy for us to like nitpick things so much and and we think like you know that maybe they reveal a they reveal a gameplay snippet or something and they're like uh maybe they show off clamber or they show off sprint and the game's still a year and a half away from coming out and people say you know the game looks great just get rid of sprint just get rid of sprint we're good it's like well internally okay we're good some guy just goes in the office and flips the switch yeah like internally (laughs) no problem in game development what has been done at fundamental levels to make this game work with sprint to to just remove it 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 it, it raises so many other issues that 
it's a monumental task. It's not even... Well, you think about it, like, even something as simple as, like, just running around fast with, like, sprint. Yeah. Everything in there is put in there for a reason and has a purpose. And if you take it out, I mean, it's just... It it can't. Or, and then there's even, like, there's even things that are, like, you don't... That are just even smaller. Like, maybe somebody says, um, and this is a really crazy example, but maybe somebody says, well... uh, if chiefs, uh, chiefs, the, the the boots on chiefs armor don't look right. If you could just change those, well, it turns out for some reason, some whack reason in the coding, changing his boots makes the lighting not work in a level or mm. something. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that that really happens, and it's like okay, well, it's not worth uh, you know seven hundred hours of manpower to change the boots on. Chief. When you look I, down and you see his feet, it you don't like it, but <laughs> just gonna have to go with it. <laughs> Hopefully, Chief's not gonna. He's gonna die if that happens. No. It's just like some some player who records themselves like staring down at their feet, firing their battle rifle at their feet to just show yeah. their displeasure at how it looks. <laughs> yeah, just a yeah. uh, desire to hate boots intensifies. I don't you know, have I, to look at this, but I am. Yeah, yeah I will stare at it all day if I have to. <laughs> uh, you know, it makes me think too about like we'll, we'll talk uh, you're gonna you guys are gonna hear us say that a lot on every one of these episodes i feel like but we're gonna we'll talk about this more in depth later on but you know brian when you mentioned you know there's an argument to be made about it being the best halo like i mean i definitely even though it's not my favorite i definitely find validity in that discussion being even just on on the on the yeah. board you know because like you look at what they did and considering the circumstances of what they had to do you know to sort of form 343 and then on top of it build a game together with people you don't know that you're just getting to know. It's like they, they could have just done a campaign and a multiplayer, but they were like, no, we're going to do this deep story that delves into the lore. We're going to try to enhance, you know, the campaign, uh, or I'm sorry, the, the just the lore in general, kind of make everything feel inclusive on, you know, unlike a little bit we saw how Bungie did it. We're going to try to do it a bit differently. And, you know, on top of that, we're going to do this infinity, you know, slayer multiplayer. We're going to, we're going to do this thing called Spartan Ops, you know, and we're going to have all these different armor permutations. Like, they did so much. It's uh, interesting you- as well, because like, there was really an appetite for all that stuff at the time. You know, when, after Reach came out, you know, the people were up in arms about uh, that story because it was obviously so different from the book, changed so much. And it was really kind of the renaissance of the lore community, the story community and everything, because people were really like, you know, I just want a really good halo story which is going to connect all the different parts of this franchise because the book universe and the game universe they feel completely separate and reach had really sort of done more than anything to widen that gap and you know bungie got to go out telling their own story absolutely fair play to them but for me you know personally going into halo 4 i was seeing so many things that i had wanted the franchise to actually do which I never, I, I rarely got sort of under Bungie's leadership because they had a very different vision for what this universe should look like. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I, I think so often you expect you'd expect there to be like you'd be able to tell the difference. Like I mean, I can tell that Halo Four is developed by someone different than Bungie, but like after you know growing up, I played Halo One, I played Halo Two, Halo Three, ODST, Reach. I would expect Four to feel like a step down, at least in in in, in its quality or scope or whatnot but mm-hmm. the way that halo 4 came out and it just felt like another quality halo game like it, it as a consumer it effortless effortlessly felt like they just gave me another halo i didn't see that behind the scenes that there was a whole transfer of power and new people coming in to start up a studio at the same time it just felt like 
you know, for like we talked about last episode, for like base consumers who are just out at Walmart and they see like a Halo advertisement on Mountain Dew, like, oh, I remember Halo 3. I played that five years ago. There's a Halo 4. I'll pick it up. And the way you pick up Halo 4 and it just it just maintains the same level. It doesn't feel like a lesser product. It just feels like they they manage to continue making uh, a product. No, it definitely feels like a, uh, an evolution for sure, which is what I, I mean, what you want out of a sequel, right? You want it to, to, to build upon what came before. And like, I just think that's, I mean, they deserve so much credit for that, that I, I think in some ways they, they still don't get because again, you could have just done a very base game to sort of start and just say, Hey, we're, you know, be patient with us. We're figuring out how to do this, you know, mm-hmm. but no, they tried to do as many things as possible. And obviously with some of those things, they're not going to land, but that goes for any developer trying to can, do something. Can you imagine if they like, and I know some people are going to hear this and some people will say they would have preferred this, but I, I think it's crazy. Is it, can, you, can you imagine if like for Halo 4, they said, let's just basically do another Halo 3 and play it safe. What if like you start off the game and you, you know, the, the four under dawn just turns up at earth. And chief like, <laughs> chief like uh, briefs real quick with hood, and then, oh, uh, there's another prophet that was leading some other covenant. Well, they show up to Earth, and we got to fight those covenant. You know, uh, you know, they're they're not as powerful, but they're just, you know, there's some more covenant. Remember me? Yeah, and then chief like, uh, yo, ooh, chief chief gives the covenant back a different bomb. You know, like <laughs> like kind of like um, it's like you the know, second Death Star. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's kind of like a Star Wars comparison where it's like you know you, you do there are people and they're not wrong per se. I don't necessarily agree with them, but they're not wrong. But there's some people out there who they just want familiarity. Repeat, they want it churned over and over and over again. That's what's difficult that, with nostalgia. And, I think, and that's fine, show. you know that that's fine that you want that. But I feel like what do we walk away from in the end when, when, when we get something new? It really gets our mind going, and it's like wow, I'm so glad we have this. It's kind of like. Uh, um, you know, even like the, the Clone Wars and stuff, it's like, you know, there was all this discourse about the prequels not being very well done, but like pretty much everyone who's a Star, Star Wars fan nowadays are going, wow, George gave us something incredible in this prequel mm-hmm. era, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, uh, to to go off that with Star Wars and then kind of use that to, to funnel back to Halo, like I think you look at something like Clone Wars and even if you're someone who doesn't like the prequels, like inherently just doesn't like them. I feel like you can you can watch the Clone Wars and look back and see, in retrospect, that the story, like if you're just looking at the story beats that are there on paper, very well done. I still think the Attack of the Clones plot in of itself is fantastic. This sort of noir, like Obi-Wan, you know, going and being the detective and stuff is just fantastic stuff. Ambition's large. large but ambition. yeah, but then, but you know, it, it all comes down to the execution sometimes. So then you go back to something like Halo 4, and for me personally, even if I'm wrong on this, the one thing, one of the things I've always loved about it was that I, I'm someone who, like, as much as I love nostalgia, it's like we, we you see with the sequel trilogy in Star Wars how some of, there was a bit of an over reliance on that, you know, for familiarity, and then you start to see now how like these some of these things take chances and they try to do inclusive stuff and they they find a better balance with it, but like with Halo Four, you know, I loved that it that three four three was like we're gonna do our own thing. Like we don't, we're not trying, we're not at all giving a middle finger. Like we want to maintain the level of consistency and and stuff like that. But we have a, a version of this we want to tell, you know. And it's our, this is what we're doing now. Like they didn't have to, you know. It's not, it's not like you go over, you, you're coming over from you know Bungie and you're waving goodbye to them, and then you know you're like, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna try to honor what you you want me to do, even though you're not here anymore. But it, and it's not like it's also not like three four three's going like as they turn around the corner like I'm going to ruin everything. You know, <laughs> they've established. Like I, I just think it's cool that they want for such a deeper thing. I always thought, for me, I always like after Halo two and three, and just like I after seeing the Bond, 
that Cortana and in chief just develop in particular through those two games. I really wanted something closer, like a, not necessarily a relationship or anything like that. Not that that would be bad per se, but I just wanted something that would really build upon what we had gotten. And I feel mm-hmm. like Halo four delivered that in spades, man. I mean, Absolutely. that's, that's at, at its core. I think what makes that so fantastic, you know, and just really, really humanized. Like we, we talked about it at, in the last episode. I think you mentioned it, Alex, but like you get, you get to the end of the campaign and I think, you know, chief's just kind of sitting there and he's kind of like, kind of thinking like, what do I do now? Yeah. What's that's next? Like, yeah. And I mean, it's just so, it tells such a deeper story that you really get in his helmet and, and, and get to, when he's staring out that window, I just picture him like listening to my chemical romance or something. <laughs> <laughs> Dear diary today, join the black parade. <laughs> um, uh, but no, I just, it's just, it's interesting to think back on that though. Like look at, you know, I, I'm happier to be in the the timeline we're in now, where the the, there's, the discourse is around how different things are. I, I like that more than if the discourse was, man, I really wish three four three would just stop re, rebuilding well, Halo three. Yeah, I mean, you know? not to beat a dead horse because I feel like I say this all the time on the show, but I think that's what's so important about taking the chances to be original because you create an opportunity for something for, for people to get now get a stout and nostalgic about or this. brand new fans you know? because of it. How many yeah, people came into bring, this franchise because of Halo four? Yeah. But then if you're always constantly sort of doing a nostalgia trip, you know, then you're trying to like milk nostalgia rather than sort of foster new nostalgia. And I mean, I, I think nostalgia has its place, but it, it has to be, it's more subtle and it needs to be sort of concise as opposed to just, and they're very intelligent about how they use nostalgia and it. Like I, th- I think, like from the first mission, you know, it's it starts off like a classic Halo game does on a spaceship, and then you get to that bit where you have to, you know, open up the shutters to see the view outside, and then those um, boarding craft come in, and it's like Cairo Station from Halo Two. The gameplay scenario is it's familiar, and they build up that sort of familiarity before they then take it off into a different direction. And I think that's like as how you intelligently sort of get people back into the groove of what they're used to before you really like transition off into something else. Yeah. I, and I love that you said that because I feel like that's such an important thing to do. Like rather than be so jarring as to just be so different by contrast right away, they kind of Mm. try to ease you into that. I think it just makes it easier to appreciate at the same time with any kind of medium. Did you say something, Brian? No, well, I just kind of, I mean, I was just kind of saying how like it, it's crazy to think we, we got a game where, you know, Chief has woken up floating towards a forerunner planet surrounded by Covenant, or, well, you know, or the Storm Covenant, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Like, just picture if Halo 4 had have been, you know, Lord Hood on a ship. Ah, we found him! <laughs> then, there he the is. They, they take you back to Earth, and they're like, Chief, we need you to mop up. There's some more Covenant on Meridian. Go, you know, and then the whole game is just, like, more... Halo, and that's the thing is like I know some people there's a narrative people like to spin about how like Halo's dead now it's dead it's over with hasn't been good in forever I, I really disagree I really think that that all of the the deep lore all of the the, the, the new things that have been introduced into the series has expanded it in, in a similar fashion to Star Wars that it, it's it's made it's made it it's made it relevant and continued to grow in this interesting way I think if we're sitting here in 2020 after playing two or three three four three games, Three four three games where they just kind of like do the covenant profit conflict over and over again. Mm. I think I think even even hardcore fans like us, I think maybe even Alex would be sitting there going, you know, I like Halo, but like there's not much to write about. There's not much to talk about. Like yeah, diminishing know, returns, just, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm, I'm think, glad we're in this 
you know, and I might, this is probably an unpopular opinion for sure, but I, you know, I think too, with any of these things, you, you, the, the, the purpose always has to be this, you know, build upon it and, and expand it and be more grandiose than what came before. And it's like, there's a part of me too, that it would never like, I would never mind if someday, and not that I think we'll get it, but if we got a Halo sequel with Master Chief and it's just a smaller scale type of conflict, you know, something that kind of like really goes it's down a bit. I feel like because, that's Halo 4 kind of. Well, I'm not saying it, I'm not saying it's not. And I mean, I think I think that's a fair point. What I'm saying, though, is that I think, you know, I, like getting in the mind of Master Chief, I just I, I imagine like him going and doing these these battles and everything's bigger than the last and you're kind of building and Chief just kind of getting to one, let's say like Halo 4, where he's probably got to think like, in one sense, like, shit, at least this ain't as bad, at least the stakes ain't as bad as last time, you know? <laughs> but at the same time, then he tries to go toe-to-toe with Tactact, and he gets worked a bit, so. But I mean, it's, you know, I would never mind that stuff, but I think you kind of, I mean, that's kind of what we get with most sequels, right? Is you're always trying to, to, to build it. You Like, I mean, imagine the narrative if like, you know, Gear, let's say Gears 5, which is now kind of taking things kind of a bit more open, and let's say Gear Six decides to condense it more down again, and something, and, and you can't really do that, right? Because even though you know, let's say like in universe, you could tell a story like that that would make sense, but uh, from a gamer standpoint, they're just not going to enjoy that because their expectations have evolved, and now you're kind of like almost devolving it, right? I mean, is that wrong to think? Yeah. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm kind of on this. I'm kind of on the same page. I have all of these like rabbit trails I want to take it down, but I'm also kind of interested to see where, what what the next uh, quote you pull quote you have. Oh, for absolutely! Us it's actually no. This is actually. Kind of on point, uh, Kiki herself said, Kiki Wolfkill, love her. She said, I think we were driven a lot early on by where we wanted to take John's story. And we wanted to be able to tell a story over the next 10 years. We wanted to map out what his hero's journey looked like. We knew that'd take more than one game, and maybe more than just games to tell it. But if this is the start of the next big part of John's arc, where do we need to go? And where, more importantly, do we where, uh, do we want him to end up? And... I loved this one specifically because I think for them, you know, obviously like Halo 4, well, for us, Halo 4 is just such a more intimate and uh, conscious story, I think, you know, and it's it's a bit, it's a lot more easier, you know, I used to complain and say uh, it's super confusing, super hard to understand and all this stuff, but I think, you know, when you look at it from the perspective of our two protagonists, you know, I mean, it's such more intimate and under, it's a, you're able to, to really grasp a lot what's going on through these characters you know chief like their motivations you have chief who is sort of driven by this you know concern this growing concern of cortana and trying to reassure her while you know internally he's probably sweating bullets and then you have cortana who's trying to still very much help chief you know achieve that and and still fight off this you know new threat uh an ancient evil that is awake i think there's something there's something beautiful i think the word i want to use is thematically about how like the first time we hear anyone call Chief John in the games is the end of the very end of Halo Three, and then that kind of takes us into you know first the marketing with Halo Four where it's like wake up John, yeah, and then you and then, and then you have the game which which delves deeper into him as a person as John, and I think there's just this beautiful flow from Halo Three into that that, that theme. That well, first Alex, line from Cortana oh, is, you know, wake up chief. And then the very last line she says, you know, welcome home, John. It's like there's just this overarching kind of, you know, sense of this journey you've been on as this story very laser focuses down on just these two characters. I think that's a good way of putting it, too, because it's almost symbolic, right? Like, you, you, you know, at one point he's chief. There's the formality almost to it. But then you have the John, which is a bit more intimate. Like, yeah, however she- platonic it is, but it's still intimate in, in, in a way that really kind of shows, like, 
the journey these two had been on together and he's back home you know with humanity at earth you know what's more sort of like that that connection that he's had with her it's almost like you know to to lose that but be back amongst the the people that you're trying to protect but he still sees himself as separate from and we'll get into you know more about this when we actually get to that part of the story we're getting ahead of ourselves but but it's just like this it's just a really great sort of place to stop that story and then you know sort of leave it open for what's going to come next yeah you know you guys mentioned in the last episode that that halo 4 does kind of like conclude in of itself you know that reminds me of that reminds me of the first mass effect like Mm -hmm. it has that sort of tether like you know the Normandy's going out there to try to wipe out, wipe out, wipe out, wow, to wipe out. They're gonna go wipe out them, them gas resistances, you know. But they're, they're they're trying to go wipe them out. Like you know, that's the implication. But you don't, and you know, kind of. It seems like you know with the whole Reapers that they're trying to build to this thing, but you don't. The the way it ends is sort of open and shut mm. in a way that if you decide to never play the other games, like, you know, it's it's okay, you know. So, but I and I think that's that's also what was brilliant about that game too is it's just there, there's. There's a beauty within that to, to be able to... Some, some I wanted to... Alex brought up, like, this This is something that I'm pretty sure I can get Alex on a soapbox about this, because I, I have it, too. <laughs> do it, man. Let's do um, it. That's not hard. <laughs> uh, well, Alex, you, you just mentioned how laser-focused Halo 4 was, and I'm like, yeah, I, I really do feel like uh, that story feels very intentionally driven in one direction, and, it, and, it, and it, it accomplishes that. It doesn't get lost in its business per se it just consistently keeps it from beginning to end well that brings me back to the 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 whole the age-old debate about how oh halo 4 is not understandable if you don't read all the extended media and all this stuff and like what's so interesting to me and this is what i'm gonna pass over to you alex and let you i kind of like to see what i'd like for you to break it down for me why you kind of think this happened but like truth be told i feel like it's it's pretty clear halo 4 is it's pretty easy to play and understand on its own merits. It is definitely enhanced by the 400 trilogy for sure, or Kilo 5 trilogy and in, in the instances of like uh, Storm Covenant and stuff like that. Um, but it's very, it's very easy to, to it. You know, I think you made a tweet about it recently, Alex, about how it's, you know, it's a, a green man lands on planet, kills bad guy. You know, it's simple. Uh, <laughs> <I remember that. laughs> but what's so interesting is that was such. It wasn't just like it wasn't a minor complaint. It was such a huge complaint. That then going into Halo 5, 343 kept addressing that and saying it wouldn't be the case for 5. The crazy thing is, I actually feel like that is the case for 5. 5 is very much hurting because of how much of stuff happens outside of the game, Mm. in my opinion. So it's weird that like there was that criticism for 4, and then 343 acknowledged it and tried to course correct it in 5. But the problem to me only really exists in five. Four yeah, they double down. But the thing is, of course, if you've read all of that media for Halo Five, you're probably even more confused about the direction the story goes with like Cortana and everything and the created because, God, that was just that was a time. <laughs> that was a time. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, on Halo Four, I understand why people think that way because you are now increasingly aware of peripheral franchise media that exists. When you first jumped into Halo 1, you probably didn't know that there was a book detailing everything about Reach. You probably weren't aware of that for a good, like, five years or so until Halo 3 era when you were a bit older. Most, I, That's probably the experience of most people. Some people were. Yeah, I certainly was. And, uh, and I read that book. But um, a lot of people just sort of go, oh, okay, so you're jumping right into this story. But with the build-up to Halo 4, you've got this connective fiction which builds up the backstory and that is the key operative word is backstory 
of the things that you see in Halo 4. The actual structure of Halo 4 itself, there's an A story and a B story. The A story is you unleash the didact, you've got to stop him. And then the B story is, of course, Cortana's rampancy. And those two sort of feed into each other and, you know, how the plot progresses from there. Didact's always like two steps ahead of you. You are trying to keep up all the way. And as you do, Cortana's condition is deteriorating. Now, when they bring up all the stuff like, ah, oh, the composer and that, which comes up in Halo Primordium, you know, you don't need to have read Primordium to know that, oh, this is a machine that turns humans into Promethean Knights, because we see that, we, we see it happen in the game, and we have it sort of explicitly mentioned to us on several points. So it's like, I don't want to sound like hostile in saying it, but there's a bare minimum kind of a requirement of sort of paying attention to what's being said to you that because uh, it gives you all that information that you need but the backstory is is separate and they do cover that in the terminals and i do agree that there was an issue at launch for many years where the terminals were not on the disc unlike halo one anniversary where you would be in a level when you could watch them right away and you could just jump straight into that terminal when you find it you had to go to halo waypoint or the halo channel to view Halo 4's terminals. That's thankfully fixed now for mm -hmm. MCC on console so and PC. Cool. An incredible move by uh, 343, the MCC team there, is that Halo 1 Anniversary, Halo 2 Anniversary, Halo 4, if you find a terminal and you activate it, you are not going to the Halo channel anymore. You are watching it right there and then. That's a place where things go to die. That ancient relic that is the Halo <laughs> channel now? <laughs> yeah. Ooh, wow. Yeah. I'm being so, so excited for that. That, yeah at a base level it's a stop the bad guy story and that's not hard really to understand it gives you everything you need to sort of get the the thrust of it and your main emotional investment is intended to be you know in chief and cortana and um sort of the sacrifices they make to for them you know that they make themselves um to face this threat and stop it well, i think you make an excellent point because i know for me playing through the game and then having talked to Brian, who sort of like explains some of this to me that I didn't understand. I mean, it, but to be fair, I, I'll preface actually and say that I've never fully understood Halo's plot as I played through it. You know, I'm not as much as I love my my Halo campaigns. I'm, I'm more on the multiplayer side, so I know I don't grasp it as much. So that's on me. But, I think I think Halo Four is easier to understand. Well, that's that's what I'm getting to. Is I was going to say is like well, to its credit, Halo Four for me personally, out of every one of the Halo games has been the only one that's really made me want to go and say, okay, I, there's some stuff here that I want to know more about. It's not like like the sort of like flip-flop. I mean, I used to think that for sure. I, I admit that. But now it's like, like as I've been reading through the Forerunner trilogy, I'm like, it, it puts so much more into it, it. It enhances it, basically, just to summarize. And I think, I think that's awesome. Like before, like with Halo Five, I think the argument's different. Like it does feel like there's some requirement there to to, to some like grasp this stuff. Like Buck a Spartan. Like if you're if you're someone if you're a grandma playing through this shit and you're playing ODST and you're working your way, you get to five. You're like, what the shit? <laughs> like where's Darren? What what happened? You know, well, but, Halo Five what? opens up with Team Osiris. As you know what? Open. I've been thinking about this. I, you know, I was uh, recently as uh, I know. I mean, maybe uh, maybe we'll get an answer someday, but. How much? I, I feel bad for saying this because I, I love Halo Five. I love Halo Five so much. But how much more well perceived could the narrative been in that game had 
we actually had maybe an entire sort of first act preceding that opening cutscene and level. Because, you know, like, imagine getting the context of the introduction of Blue Team on screen for the first time and not just we know that they're we're supposed to know that these people are together and the whole like negative infinity i don't like it what if we got to sort of see the build-up to him saying that line so that the narrative's not like this is ridiculous but it's actually oh wow i can see why he's at this point now you know yeah honestly that next 72 hours comic book arc of halo escalation where you know blue team are reunited they go face the die could have been halo 5 story yes yeah, I remember reading- Revelation Zero Three. You know, you you have Covenant. You've got Prometheans there. You got the Didact. You continue that whole story, and then you got Chief reunited with Blue Team. Small, simple, like narrative to follow. It's like I feel like we're going to be saying "What if" with Halo Five for, for many many right. years to come. <laughs> well, it's and been there will five, be- and we still five years, and we still got ideas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, there's two things I want to say. Um, well, the first, to, to, just to touch on briefly, to cap off what we were talking about earlier, uh, you said, Alex, um, that, you know, Halo 4, it's it's simple enough to understand. You, like, you, you can understand what the composer is just from playing the game and whatnot. The only thing I would say to give credit to, I think people drew the wrong conclusion. Um, there's so much, so much that's added by reading the Forerunner trilogy mm. books. So much. More so than ever that... It, it enhances it that much to yeah. have that. So I think rather than say acknowledge that it enhances it, people instead said it degrades what's there, and that's not really yeah. the case. At least no, I've definitely I've definitely learned that that um, perspective because I mean, you know, it's like it's like when you see when you go and see Force Awakens for the first time, and Ray gets to Luke, and you're seeing that sort of cliffhanger ending. And it at that point when you're leaving the theater, even if you don't like it, it's still in the very least I feel like leaving you in a state of wonder now, trying to again theater the mind, fill in the blanks, like what has gone on, you know? And all these little plot threads that are there are now sort of making you want to know these answers. It's it's raising these questions you want to have answered. And I think with with you know, to Halo Four's respect, like it 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 manages to sort of peel back the layers that we've we've been wondering and wanting to see for so long, but at the same time giving you just enough to make you want to know more. And then 343 is like, well, hey, we got you covered. Here's a Forerunner trilogy. Yeah, I mean, you look at the evolution of how, you know, story delivery works now. I look at Destiny as a comparison. Like, how many people in the Destiny community understand the story from having watched, like, My Name is Bife's videos, as opposed to actually sitting in the game, reading through every single lore card? I just wonder what that ratio is because I'm pretty confident that it's people who have stopped playing the game, gone online, and watched some like vid- informative videos, read up about it themselves, and that kind of initiative is like that's what fans. If you like what you what you're experiencing, you're probably inclined to do that. So I, I think yeah, this oh, sorry, multimedia approach, um, you know, the, all the transmedia and everything is. It's just how we consume stuff now, and maybe three four three was just on the cusp of you know uh, of that becoming the norm. But I don't think it's uh, at all you know sort of out there really is what we're what we do on a daily basis. Uh, that, yeah, that, that's a really good point. It makes me it makes me think of one of my other favorite series of all time, which is the Soul series. Oh yeah, and and uh, that series is just uh, so beloved, beloved, and you know. If you have you ever played them, Alex? I have. I must admit, I'm terrible at them. I'm. I played Dark Souls two last a couple of years ago, 
And I have this wonderful memory of um, that sort of first area where there's like these massive trolls and everything. I was playing with my housemate at the time on his PS3. And I just got into this coffin because I thought it would like disguise me from them and I'd be able to sort of, you know, um, they'd walk past and I'd carry on. <laughs> no, it, uh, it it changed my gender instead. And I got out of that coffin. I was like, oh, wow, this is an interesting game. <laughs> Wow, what that's kind a story. of coffin is this? <laughs> yeah, what kind of coffin is that? Um, yeah, but so like for the record, I'm actually horrible at them too. I managed to beat them. Like I can beat them, but I'm really bad. Most some people are like, "Oh, it took me eight tries." I'm like, "It took me 180." <laughs> uh, but the whole point I'm making to kind of correlate this is like, people love the story of Souls. People love the lore of Souls. And if you've played the games, you know that almost none of it is present just playing the game. Mm. Uh, most of all the story and lore that, that come, and it's very deep and it's very interesting, that comes from that is from the description of the items you pick up, the description of the, the weapons, the shields you get, the, uh, the architecture of the area you pass through, the, uh, the environmental storytelling. You come into a building and there's a, there's a corpse here and there's a, a couple arrows here and then there's a boss that, um, you know, I'm simplifying it, but the boss has a bow, and it's clear that the bow matches the arrows, and that this was a fallen hero, and like, and and to bring it back to what you're saying about how like so much of the Destiny community they go to YouTube to to get that background because they they want to they want to know it, but they don't want to go th- through it pick it pick it pieces. Um, I'm probably gonna mispronounce his name. I apologize, but there's that really popular YouTuber video body video or. Video Vadia, I don't know. I I have no idea what, but he's a super prominent YouTuber who goes into all the lore of the Souls games. He takes the items and he he gets the descriptions and he matches up the story and he takes Mm -hmm. the bosses and the environmental cues and he he puts the picture together for you. And it's like, wow, this is a super interesting, deep universe. And and people love it. And and it's almost like a game like Dark Souls, um, it gets extra points for being that way. But then something like Halo... Which, it, in, in me and Alex's opinion at least, uh, Halo 4 did a great job of marrying the two, and it just got kind of got crapped on for that, you know? So. <laughs> no, I definitely, as someone who, who, you know, initially felt the opposite, I mean, I definitely see where you guys are coming from on that. And I think there's more validity to that, because I, I, think, I think with any part of media, you know, if, if something's different, if, if you're taking a franchise, something that you're familiar with, but then the story that's being told in that is very different in some ways than, than what's been told. It, it's, it's going a little bit, it's familiar, but it's not. Mm. I think that leads, that it kind of subjects uh, people to to getting, you know, tr- trying to spin their feelings on that is fact, right? You know, yeah. and then and then the discussion becomes like, this is bad and here's why, and then and, and stating these as if they're fact. And it's it's just, it, it, go ahead, Brian. Well, it's very interesting, like, and this is definitely a pat us on the back moment, but, like, that was kind of the, it, it's, it's been, we've kind of proven it, though. The, the goal with Sacred Icon was to just talk about the positive, you mm-hmm. know, because the thing is, the thing is, with internet discourse, nobody, nobody, most people don't come out and say their goal is to focus on the negative. But usually the discourse is the negative, right? Because the positive sells, stuff, people are like, what generates yeah. news cycles. Yeah, it's like people are like, well, obviously, you know, giving the covenant back their bomb, that was a cool cutscene. We're not, we're not going to talk about that. Everybody agrees that's cool, of course. Well, let's, let's talk about how stupid Halo 5's decision was to do this. Well, so with Sacred Icon, only talking about, we're not we're not saying things that are bad or good. We're not we're not lying. We're not trying to make things you know f- that aren't true. But but just focusing on the good, you've seen 
uh, at least in my opinion, we've only been around for a year. We've got a pretty decent following of people who are like, wow, I just want to, I, this is cool talking about the good, the fun things. This is yeah, cool like you guys, I think things. some of the stuff we've seen recently is like, you guys are like, you know, the halo therapy, <laughs> like, which <laughs> means so much. Yeah. Like, so and, much. and, and then we get some people who are like, I wish you guys were so positive. I wish you talked about, you know, the things that suck and you shouldn't ignore it. I'm like, no, we're not ignoring it. We just know that there is about 38 million other people. You can go out <laughs> yes. there yeah. And, and, and it comes back negative. down. And I mean, you've said this before, Brian, yourself, but like, it really comes back down to the fundamental level of we're doing this stuff because at its source, we love it. Like why yeah. spend more time? It, I mean, it's good to still talk about that and acknowledge this stuff, but why spend the majority of your time uh, with something you love talking about why you hate it? <laughs> like, yeah. And, it, it I, and I think the perception. I think there's, yeah, I think there's, you know, for us, I look at it as a, it is our wheelhouse. It's our benefit. And, and, and so if you, if you come to sacred icon it's because you you want to be enthusiastic. You want to talk about the positive. That's what we offer now. But the, the negative to that is we don't we don't offer. I, I would say we're you know we're not as good at um, like Alex has this good neutral position as as himself as a as a creator in the in the uh, the Halo sphere. Um, I would say, and I don't know if you agree with me, Alex. I would say you, you're not particularly heavy on negative or positive. You're kind of just you're kind of trying to look outside of the box and just you kind of have a neutral view on things a lot of the that's time. That's the goal. Yeah. So I think what's so, great about your stuff too, Alex, is that like when you when you talk about things, you, you, it comes from a place of love. And like you're not trying to say, "Here's why I love it. Here's why your opinion is wrong." It's here's why I love it. I'm going to break down all these reasons, <laughs> you know, why you love it. And I think when Brian talks to me about Halo, when he talks to me about anything that I'm not as into. I get pulled in because the enthusiasm that's there. It's not a. It's it's not like you're trying to sort of convince someone and sway someone. Like you haven't seen this movie. Here's why you should, and you're terrible for not having seen it yet. <laughs> it's more so like, dude, this movie is so great. I remember watching this, blah blah, and just talking about it. You find conviction, and I think that's definitely something you've always exuded with your stuff. Is it absolutely? Like, I mean, on a purely selfish level, it is very nice when somebody comes to you and they says, "Oh, you know, you you." put into words exactly what it was that I was feeling that but I just didn't have the words for it it's very nice when you get that feeling because you know you share that thing with somebody and you can get that with negative and positive stuff you know when I was writing about you know stuff about Halo 5 which I wasn't so keen on people were saying like oh this guy you know he, he explains exactly why you know this thing was was not a thing that uh, a lot of us like but I realized over sort of the course of many years is like that's not really the position I want to and that's not what I want. I don't want to be known as like, you know, the person who dunks on Halo 5 or whatever. I want to be somebody who has something interesting to say about, you know, ways you can appreciate something that maybe you didn't consider at the well, time. It's a rationality, right? I mean, yeah. Because like yeah. we live in such a culture of extremes when it comes to media we love and everything. So just sort of trying to step away from that is like you just become a lot happier as a, as a creator and as a person. That's what yeah. Brian and I realized. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just think it, you know, I think it's cool when people offer different things. I, I don't know why um, you'd want us all to be on the same page. You know, I think there's a very specific kind of uh, a discourse or a conversation you get when you when you read you know, Haruswa's content. I think when people want to listen to or watch uh, late night gaming's videos, they like his um, analytical breakdowns and soothing voice. You know, they kind of come together. Energy. To, yeah, he has this. He has this. He has this way of like you know, 
maybe I don't care. So, you know, I made a, I had a joke once. It was true. It was actually not a joke. It was true. But I, I made a, a joke on Twitter about I had a dream one night that uh, I went over to Late Night Gaming's house and he would, all of his TVs in his house were tube TVs because he believed the only proper way to play Halo was on a tube TV. <laughs> because, you know, people have a respect and an interest. That's why he has the following is it's like, okay, he has a good way of conveying his feelings with these specific analytical reasons of, of why he enjoyed this thing or whatnot. And I think, you know, uh, with us, people like, okay, uh, Brian and Josh, they, they're, they talk about uh, the things they love and the reasons they feel their way about things and how it's stuff like that. And it's kind of this positive spin. So it's like, I feel like the base just kind of general pool of Halo fandom, and it doesn't have to just be Halo, it can be Star Wars, or whatever. Kind of the your your base pool is kind of just the let's talk about what we hate. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's kinda of like Rose, let's talk about the things we love. Yeah, right? yeah. I always think back to that guy just having a video of himself breaking the action figure. And it's like how <laughs> how does it get to a point where you love something so much that now you're so angry under this one fest that you plucked out this yeah. thing you hate and it you 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 let it grow? Yeah. It's just a weird psychology to me to get behind. And I, I mean, in the moment when you're someone you know, even if you're someone who loves something, it, I understand why the narrative becomes the the sort of focused obsession of the one side. But it's good to have it's good to have the balance too. It, you, know, you just you never want to let it get too negative because then you're you're sort of losing sight of why you're even talking about the thing in the first place, right? I think because we've if, spoken hey, about this before, but uh, I got into Avatar and Korra over the uh, over the summer during uh, during lockdown, and I watched through like both of those shows like just straight away, just right through them very nice and um you know i love them both i thought they're absolutely fantastic and uh really loved the legacy they've left in animation and uh you know i went onto youtube like thinking oh let's have a look and see what uh you know i know why i love this stuff and i i've got an analytical mind about it but i want to hear some of the other perspectives about you know how sort of mechanically these things work and i searched that and the first thing i see is like why the legend of Korra is terrible and killed my dog and why, you know, it's just, <laughs> I, I just not here for that energy. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it completely. When you're trying to, trying to bring rationality to why you just hate something. I think it, it for, even for me at, at 32 years of age, I'm just, I'm like, yeah, I mean, part of my French, but I'm like, fuck out of here with that. Like, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't have time with, I don't want to waste my time kind of trying to learn why you don't like something and the rationality you're trying to bring behind it. Like, yeah, I, I can and I, like I love the discourse of being able to talk about something like Last Jedi subjectively is one of my least favorite ones. Objectively, I think it's the best, if not one of the best. But then you're someone, Alex, who loves that movie. I, I can gain the fact that like let's say we disagree on that. The fact that we do means I can if I'm if I'm respectful and nice, I'm going to learn so much more from your perspective that could potentially turn me around just by listening and talking to you about it rather than being like here's 10 top 10 reasons why alex aruspis is wrong about the last year. and that's the thing like, is like, that it YouTube. doesn't even have to change your mind it can just be a case right. of like huh i hadn't thought of that it won't change my opinion but i can appreciate that point and we just move on with our lives and we yes. and we're happy in our own way yeah we would probably that'd probably be our biggest youtube video if we made top 10 reasons aruspis is wrong april fool's thing people go and yeah. click on it and it's actually top 10 we should do they click on it and the second it starts it's just alex talking to sheaf palpatine he's like oh i i i brought you here for different reasons than you thought and he goes into his own spiel talking about why halo 4 is the best um but i know to kind of go back to what someone was gonna you know on topic i was gonna mention is um alex you said that there was that uh, 72 hours comic that could have been like halo 5 or whatnot um uh, correct me if i'm wrong but 
there was this, also this whole narrative when Halo 4 came out that like Didact was the stupidest villain ever when they, people hated him. Right? Much the same as like the Grave Mind in Halo 2. Yeah, that same kind of yeah. that same kind of attitude. But it's funny how time, you know, in time now, look, look how many like Didact stands we have up there right <laughs> yes. now. Like, I want I want more Didact and it's 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 such a shame because it's like you don't know how to you don't know how to react to that stuff as as developers, I'm sure, where you're like, okay, there's this loud part of the community that said I thought Didact was a stupid villain. I didn't like him. I don't want to see any more of that. So they, it, it, I don't know the facts, but it kind of seems like they kind of pushed him off to the side due to response. And then, you know, nowadays it's like, man, Didact was a really cool, like, kind of nemesis for Chief. Kind of had all this great backstory. And let's do more with it. Yeah, him. I mean, we knew that he was going to be in 5 originally, and his role changed several times. Uh, it's in the Escalation Library edition, uh, which has director commentary from, like, Brian Reed and various other uh, writers there. And uh, yeah, in those initial drafts for Halo 5, Didact was there. He was in that story. And then uh, that role changed to him originally being, um, you know, the forerunner builder that you hear those audio logs from. That was going to be the Didact. And then mm. he just wasn't in the story at all. He gets two mentions. Wow. wow. Yeah. Um, oh, what was I going to say? Completely lost train of thought, Josh. Do you have something to say? No, I'll just uh, I'll just say like I didn't even know that actually. That's kind of fascinating. Mm. I mean, it, yeah. Oh, that. Oh, no. Okay, it came to my mind. I was just saying. Okay, I, yeah, I, miss, I talked to Alex like uh, I messaged Alex like I don't know. It was probably three or four months ago. Now I was like, I would love, just absolutely adore the opportunity to talk to Brian Reed for just a little bit of time because I, I am not now. I I wasn't a fan of, of Halo Five story, but uh, basically what happened is that game came out and. People just shit on dumped, him. dumped all over that dude, and you know, just I don't even I don't see him at all on like a Twitter. He's not he's not three four three anymore. I don't see him on Twitter. I don't see him socially anywhere, and I wouldn't I don't blame him either because I can't imagine uh, the discourse that would be around him if he was present. But I would love to just talk to him and just like hear the processes and the thoughts and like how he came to the and he also he's not the sole responsible person for every decision made. no but boy does he take the face does he take the face for all the hate he and it's a shame i feel like he I, I hope he's doing good because yeah I, you know as you say that i'm picturing like brian reed's face photoshopped over luke skywalker in last jedi who just went into hiding because just something it, just the, the criticism he received you know and i i, it, I think it's, it's horrible i watched people have, you know, said about him yeah and doing one of these uh, and doing the research for these i was watching like this narrative panel and he's there and he seems so happy, happy to be there you know i mean they all do and and like you said he's, he's one person in a in a lot of the of he's the main writer of spartan ops isn't he? yeah well, yes alex yeah, and, and 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 it seems to me that most people enjoy that story. Yeah, Spartan so. Yeah, I mean, he, he just he seemed like such a nice guy. And I mean, I, I I hope it's one of those things in time. Like you notice how some things, uh, time can be kind to certain things. And I really yeah. hope that people. I mean, who knows? Because you, you see people now who like love uh, the dude who was George R. Banks. You see people now who say, "Oh, they always should have though." People say, "Yeah, uh, Hayden Christensen is my favorite Star Wars actor." People <laughs> say, "You know, Revenge of the Sith is my favorite." You see that stuff now, it's finally wrapping around. Can you imagine there's this narrative maybe like, let's say like we're all in our late 30s into 40s and there's these like new kids coming up age of 15. They're like, man, my favorite Halo story is five. Just the way that they they, they had this ensemble cast. They had this cool, like the Guardians, Cortana. It's just such a great dark story. It's so good, you know, and like, and it becomes just like, maybe there's this huge appreciation for Halo 5. Maybe. In, in the future. And, it's, and then you look back and it's like, you know, it's, it's always interesting, and that's why I like Alex's approach so much to his articles. It's like, you know, 
there's always different angles to look at things. There's always different ways to kind of break down the reason we feel the way we do about things. And I mean, you know, to make it clear, sometimes things just are, just aren't good. That's also a thing. I'm not trying to downplay that. Sometimes something just kind of sucks and that's, that's going to be that way. That's fine. But it's like how many times I think anybody who opened themselves up to uh, potentially liking something or potentially having their mind changed, mm-hmm. they're, they're so happy about it. I, I tried, I mentioned before, I tried the Elder Scrolls Oblivion like eight, seven, eight times before I liked it. I first played it, I thought it was... Hell! Yeah, I thought it was kind of janky. I thought it was kind of silly. Yeah, I, I couldn't I get into like it the it. first time I played it either. It took me... Yeah. Uh, I think there was a Christmas in like 2008 or something where I just picked it up again and thought, right, let's give this a go. And then I finally got into it. And then 300 hours later, I was like, right, ready for Skyrim. Oh, I'm so <laughs> yep. happy to hear that. And that and it's like, man, I'm glad I gave this another chance because, you know, if you write that thing off... I mean, it's like uh, Josh wanted me to get in the Dragon Age series... Um, Back in 2000, this is we were waiting for MCC. Uh, Josh kind of convinced me to get into the Dragon Age series. Mm, the, my problem, come out yet, yeah. my problem was the type of combat that Dragon Age offers. I personally don't enjoy it. Mm. Just, just personally, I don't think it's objectively bad or anything. I just personally don't enjoy it. So, but but he's like Brian, you like Mass Effect, you like characters, you like these dialogue wheels, you like this kind of stuff. You know, you like fantasy. Like you need to play Origins. So I played Origins, and what ended up happening is I beat that whole game, did all the did all kinds of quest lines and stuff adored the game adored the characters mm. the story thought it was so good um i never i never really enjoyed the combat but it didn't matter because i kind of got past that and that's I, still I my took favorite it, combat took in the world uh <laughs> yeah so yeah i'm so glad I'm a, I'm a fan of dragon age because of that but uh yeah i, I don't know if you guys have anything more you want to say on that but uh, josh feel free to pull another yeah. quote for us oh, absolutely uh, kiki wolfkill there. said uh love the discussion though by the way uh, kiki wolfkill also said we knew early on that we wanted to add a new enemy type to halo 4 so figuring out how to make it work within the sandbox and not disrupt it was a focus of a lot of the design work. We also were learning a new engine. And I think if I look back on 4, one of the biggest struggles we had was that iteration wasn't as quick as we would have liked it to be. Mm. We went through a lot of back and forth on visual design. In terms of the story, we wanted the character design to tell and what we wanted people to understand about the Prometheans and Forerunners just by looking at them. In parallel to that, we were iterating through how they needed to move and react and how they needed to fit into the sandbox. Melding these things together and iterating on them was bumpier, I think, than anyone would have liked. Now, two questions, guys. Obviously, you know, what's your takeaway from that statement? I mean, is there, you know, getting in the headspace of the, you know, the studio trying to sort of carry forward this, you know, franchise, but also bring a new enemy type that we hadn't ever seen before? But then also, how were you guys feeling at the point of time? You know, I mean, we're going to circle back to it in later episodes, but. When you're getting to a point, you're starting to sort of get to know the sort of broad strokes of what this plot is going to look like, and you're, you know you're getting a new enemy type and stuff like that. Was that exciting for you guys? Definitely. I mean, the thing about Halo is it kind of shoots itself in the foot a bit by having just the Covenant and the Flood, and then they've got those systems worked out to such a degree that it feels like it's really hard to add something new without really taking away from that core kind of combat loop. You look at the Covenant in Halo 1, and I think it's just like they're the best designed enemies, I think, ever in an FPS where, you know, you've got the clear sort of separation of rank and role. Halo's never been about having the most enemies on screen. It's about these specific kind of curated encounters where they've got this dynamic kind of behavior and this character where, uh, you know, you, it's the 30 seconds of fun. Sort of yep, I was just going to say that. I'm glad you brought that up. To that, yeah. 
so adding something new to that with the Prometheans was certainly like it was exciting to me because it's like oh this is this is something new you know we fought the Covenant for as the main enemies like throughout the entire series Flood have kind of gone back and forth a lot on how much I've enjoyed fighting them so let's see what uh, what something new is and of course for three four three's sort of perspective uh, this new enemy class is of course going to be a big kind of uh, appeal and feature for what they've got to say that they've got to add to the universe that's new so from what i understand is the promethean knights went through about 15 plus uh, iterations of geometry <laughs> as they tried to figure out like how do we do this and i feel like again it's one of those things that turns into a bit of a of a bite you know a bite-sized comment where it's like oh prometheans suck <laughs> <laughs> without any of the sort of surrounding context and nuance because yeah i've researched extensively into the um creation of the prometheans i did an article last year about uh about that whole process from halo chronicles of course as we talked in the last episode where you were going to become a promethean all the way up to um you know where we are present day and man do i not envy the uh the task that those those devs those artists and everyone had to go through in order to uh to work that all out it, it must have been like one of the biggest pressure points of the project. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that, Brian? Well, something kind of something comes to mind um, for me in regards to the Prometheans, kind of going off of our topic of, you know, was there a lot of required reading for Halo Four to enjoy that story? And how me and Alex kind of said, no, no, it wasn't. It was it was enjoyable on its own. And I'm realizing, and I'm I'm definitely guilty. I'm admitting to being guilty of this. Is there's a, there's a lot of a lot of times there's a lot of hyperbole. Um, infused into our uh, our opinions and hot takes on things. Uh, when I played Halo 4 the first time, I was blown away by Halo 4. I thought Halo 4 was amazing. I enjoyed the whole game. I enjoyed fighting Prometheans. Um, I didn't really have a problem with them too much. I, now, I never at any point thought the Prometheans were as cool as mm. the Covenant. I never I never thought they were as their design was as fantastic as the Covenant. But I loved Halo 4 and I enjoyed fighting them. I thought that, you know, I enjoyed it. But you know, you know, out of out of Covenant and Flood and Prometheans, they were my least favorite. But I still liked them. Well, as the narrative shifted to how awful the Prometheans are, it kind of heightened my distaste for them because it was like, you know, they're my least favorite of the three. And I think like with you know, like with the Knights, for instance, you know, and Alex mentions they went through like fifteen iterations. That seems pretty evident to me looking at them. Mm. Because it doesn't seem like they have, and I'm, I'm no artist, but it just, it seems like they don't have a clear, top to bottom, confident artistic choice with the knights. I'm talking about you know Halo Four in specific at least. It just doesn't seem like it. I'm not saying it's it's bad objectively or anything. I'm just saying like it seems like it, it wasn't fully like the elite. The elite. It's almost like uh, the movie Alien. It's like I admire its purity. You know that <laughs> that, that, uh, that uh, Ian Ian. Uh, what's his last name? Home. Ian Home. Yeah. Ian Home. So, yeah. When you look at the elite and, and combat evolved, it's like I admire its purity. Like this, it looks like it looked. The elite looks like it went through eighty nine filters and was poured over in detail to get the exact perfect design. It, it, but the the Promethean, it looks like. You know, we tried this, we tried that, and we just didn't manage to land it the way we wanted, but this is what we got. It's okay. It's not perfect. That's how I felt. So mm -hmm. anyways, I'm really rambling here, but basically what I'm trying to say is 
the 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 hyperbole kind of got to me, and I, now I kind of have this narrative that I don't like Prometheans. I, I mean, I even say it on Twitter nowadays that I'm like, you know, I'll I'll be happy if there's no Prometheans in Infinite because I'm not the biggest fan of them. But the truth be told is, they weren't that bad. I enjoyed them in Halo Four. Uh, I enjoyed them less in five. Alex and I are in the minority on that. That I thought they were yes, less enjoyable definitely. in five. Um, but they really weren't bad. I think the crawlers, especially in four, are brilliant because. You know, we talk about bad AI in Halo, right? Drones in Halo 2 and 3 in Reach is just like one of the most irritating enemies, I think, in the entire series. Well, you know, drones were originally concepted for Halo 4, and it's clear that their sort of design principles translated over to the crawlers, where they sort of combine them with grunts, because the crawlers in 4 can walk on walls and on ceilings, and they're upside down and everything, and they can shoot at you, but they do like bug bite kind of damage against you. It's very small scale. And so it's kind of, you're fighting less of them than you would drones. You've got like a dozen drones coming at you. And I, for God's sake, this is the worst. But you, you're, <laughs> up against, you're up against like 10 crawlers, let's say. And you're just popping those headshots and it's really satisfying to get It is the, satisfying. I was just going to say that. Yeah. And then, they're, you know, they're, they're, there's motion there and they're, they're going all over the environment. I just find that really fun, uh, really engaging. Definitely, yeah, I do too. Yeah, I, I was gonna say, like, those are actually my favorite ones to fight in before because those are like it's not to, to lessen the other ones, but they are genuinely satisfying. Like, through mm. and through, every time I see them, I'm like, I can't wait to see them explode. It's so easy. Yeah, it's- yeah I, I've said it. I've said it before. I don't that it's somebody else's uh, idea that I, I'm taking this from someone else. Someone else said this, and they put it in words that that really sat with me well. It's that in Halo Four, you know, the Prometheans had had a similar kind of. Uh, structure as the covenant yeah. where it's like you kind of have your you have your uh your knight your big baddie you gotta take out the most but then you have you have your kind of uh your small kind of pawns like in chess you you have the crawlers and then you have the watcher which it's a support unit and you kind of want to make sure you take that out before you kill the uh the knight because it could resurrect it you don't have to do it that way but you know similar design philosophy there well you know that was another complaint with halo 4 at the time so when they did halo 5 you know Initially, I liked the concept of the soldier, and I thought, okay, maybe Halo 5, this is going to be a, a better way about it. But by the time I beat Halo 5, I'm like, no, there's something missing, yeah, something about absolutely. the Prometheans. It's not the same. They don't me. work as a unit in the same way, I think. And Yeah, and that's exactly what I was getting to. Is Somebody somebody mentioned, put it into words once, and I, it stuck with me ever since, is that Halo 5 has a very like shooting gallery approach to the Prometheans. And not even just the Prometheans, I guess, for Covenant as well that the enemies are kind of there's a lot of them and on screen and they're doing a lot of things but they're not really working as a unit Mm. together they're just kind of all over the place and i'm thinking the mission that comes to mind immediately is i think the third mission in halo 5 meridian um where you you first kind of go out outside the first combat area and there's like a i don't know kind of like a valley and a door and then you got kind of like two big buildings and it's a huge area, and you kind of can just pick any area you want mm. in there, get up on a building, and you can kind of just shoot from a distance different enemies that are scattered all over the level. There's no real sense of, like, you have your knight, and then your watcher kind of protecting, and the crawlers up front. It's just, it's just a shooting gallery. Yeah. And for some, they may enjoy that more, and if they do, that's, that's great. But I feel like it doesn't really line up with what we know from halo combat it's interesting that you use the chess analogy as well because the prometheans were originally named after chess pieces the uh the watcher was the bishop the knight is still of course the knight and then the crawler were pawns that makes sense yeah, yeah, yeah i don't, I don't yeah sense. i don't think i knew that either if i did i forgot <laughs> it for sure but the yeah that, that's 
That's yeah. That's a that's a really cool uh, a concept of looking at that. And I think, in a sense, where you know, I still kind of am in the camp just because I love Covenant. Mm-hmm. I love Leeds and Brutes just because I love them so much more. That's why I say I don't want Prometheans and Infinite. But if if Prometheans did show up, I would like to see them in a Halo Four more esque way. And you can see the three four threes really kind of learned their lesson in terms of how the AI and characterization should work because they've gone with the banished essentially. They they know that core loop and that they need to sort of double down on making that work. And I think from what we've seen of Infinite so far, the approach they've taken, I'm super. I'd be I'd be fine losing Prometheans for you know a while. Just to focus on that. Yeah. I mean, Halo Infinite's going to be around for 10 years, but I'm sure we'll get Prometheans at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could be a really interesting way to introduce them. And and if I wish I could think of an example right now, but if, if history's told me anything, um, a, a second stab at something, second or third stab at something, it, it can change your perspective on it. Totally. Like they, they, they could reintroduce the Promethean. There could be like some kind of DLC or a chapter add-on four or five years into Halo Infinite where they reintroduce the Prometheans, and maybe there's a few design changes, maybe a new unit. And it's like, holy, these guys are badass. I mean, look at yeah, the like these guys all... from Halo 2, right? If, yes. you, if yeah. that was just the enemy that you fought, you'd be like, these are the worst enemies in the universe. Mm. And then you get to Halo 3 and ODST, and you know, while I don't think they match up to being quite as fun as fighting the elites, they are certainly a whole lot better in those games for some of the redesigns that, uh, that Bungie did to their behaviors. And I think they hold up really quite well to this day. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a kind of, I mean, really, we can kind of take that a million, a million different directions with, like, introducing the Brutes. When, you know, when you play Halo 1 and you're looking forward to Halo 2, you're, you know, as a fan, as a consumer, you're probably thinking, I want more of me shooting elites, grunts, and jackals on a Halo ring as the Master Chief. And then you get Halo 2 and you're like, whoa, there's Brutes, there's drones, and I got to play as the Arbiter? What the hell? Mm. <laughs> you know, and what has time shown? What an amazing feat they pulled off with Halo 2, introducing this super inter- interesting uh, Covenant um, side of the story, uh, having this character that's pretty much universally loved in the Arbiter, uh, having Brutes be this consistent. It's to the point now where it's almost, in my mind, I almost don't even think of Elites being there before Brutes. Like, I know they are, but Brutes are almost just as synonymous, and we're so glad we have these things. I think the underrated legacy of Halo 2 is the fact that, like, you know, you have the narrative from the perspective of the Covenant, and it really goes to show, like, you know, uh, a hero is only good as his, his villain, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you, you finally peel back the layers and kind of show, you know, why these these villains are so good and actually how they're, you know, they're not just inherently one-dimensional. There's a lot of multi-layered stuff going on and how Because, I mean, with a lot of games, you know, like, if they kept doing them the way they did Combat Evolved, you can only do that for so long before that's just not enjoyable anymore, yeah. you know, right? So... You know, and you look at everything that's come after and the weight and the gravity that's been there for every Halo that's come after. I mean, it, there's a lot more depth in and I think I think love to be gained from that, even with the Forerunners. I mean, even if they're not as fun to fight for some people, like like in 5, I like them a bit more than 4, but I can I, I definitely see the perspectives of, of 4s being a bit more fun for like you guys and stuff like that. But it's like it helps just knowing their story. It makes it, from their perspective, I mean, not just sort of knowing the sort of carbon uh, the tldr if you will but just getting to actually get that that backstory and know that i mean especially as i'm reading um uh through cryptum and i mean it's just some of the stuff with the didact kind of talking about the memories of these soldiers and stuff like that i mean it's just fantastic to me to to and it enhances it it enhances it yeah and that was very much you know you said um 
a hero is only as good as their enemies. And you know, that was very much the approach 343 had in saying, right, we need, we want to give Chief kind of a personal sort of nemesis in 4 to, yeah. to have to face, which, of course, uh, resulted in giving us the didact. I don't know if anything will ever beat for me with Halo that just that tagline, an ancient evil awakens. awakens. I'm like, what is then this, you see dude? His, his sigil, you know, rotating in the back there. It's like, oh, yeah. And in that free trailer where he has that epic line at the end, you know, I have long dreamt of this day, Reclaimer. Oh, yeah. Chills. Yeah, there's something about Halo when it when it decides to flip an idea on its head. It, it, it works so well. It, it's so interesting because it's like from Halo 1, 2, and 3, what we're, our enemy is really this, this religious zealotry, this religious faction, you know. Of course the prophets are leading it but the prophets aren't your big baddie like they're not really the big baddies it's more their influence mm -hmm. that's the issue of the first three games so then when you get to four like it's a very common concept in media to have a big bad i mean that's almost everywhere there really wasn't one in the original trilogy and then you get to four and they're like let's go ahead and see what it's like when halo has a big bad mm -hmm. it has an, a nemesis and it was really unique and what that reminds me of now and Actually, this was, this was like, as you said earlier, Alex. This is what you love to hear. Alex put it into words for me. Something I'd already, <laughs> I'd already thought about it, but I hadn't put it into words. But it was one of your articles. I think it, it might have been the one on the banish, the, the when it was announced for Infinite. I can't remember. But you put it into words where you're like, basically, in Halo. Okay, so in so many other pieces of media, the bad guy is just people that want to ascend to power. But in Halo, from the get-go, it always was this religious thing, you know. I mean, I guess in a sense they want power, but like you know, it's it's the it's the foreigners are gods, light the rings, you know, the great journey. It's all that. So when you said that the banished are this really unique idea for Infinite, because it's not about religion, they just want to kick ass, mm -hmm. they just want to be in power, they just want to take charge, yeah. and like that concept isn't new at all. It's not even remotely new, but it is to Halo. And that's what makes it really exciting is that now we're going to have these enemies that just like we're, 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 we're full of like bloodlust. We want to be in charge. We want to rule. We want to, you know, Eshram wants to fight Chief. I was going to say just a good the, fight. The end of that trailer is really the best part to me, that gameplay reveal, because you just get a sense of what this of what you're going to be going into. I mean, it's easy to just look and like, oh, these these are the banished. And what do we know about them? And then also like, you know, like just how they play and everything. But then you it's look. So at, go ahead. I'm sorry, no, it's, just, it's so opposite. You picture like Estrom, like, you know, give me a line that Estrom says. What does he say at the end of that? Um, Bear your fangs? I wish I could oh, tell man. you it was difficult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, that and bear your fangs. It's like this brute force. I want to kick your butt. Oh, and nice brute force mentioned, Brian. You, you go back. Uh, then you go back to. <laughs> You go back to uh, the original trilogy, and what is what are the different different kind of ideology of being a big bad? Because I'm just picturing the the prophet of I think it's regret. No, yeah, in, in Halo Two, that's like it can't be done until my summon is complete, <laughs> and it's like it's so like he's so caught up in this just religious zealotry. It's just like it's not it, the prophets. I mean, it's so interesting, like kind of the dichotomy there, because the, the basically the the uh, the prophets are like. They're basically the mandrakes from Chamber, Chamber of Secrets. They're little shriveled up guys. They have no physical power at all, but their influence is, is huge. And then you get the brutes, and it's it's opposite. It's just so cool. Well, I think that's what I loved about Eshram there is just the fact that, like, knowing that this guy, 
knowing that he sort of represents everything else beneath him, you know, all these, like, like I, I put it this way, when I get to the end of the gameplay video and he's hyping you up about how he wants, he wants you at your absolute best. Like mm-hmm. by all means, I don't want you handicapped, buddy. I want you at your peak physical condition. I want to fight you. I want this to, to be a battle to remember. He you buys know. you a gold gym. membership. Yeah. He's <laughs> 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 just wearing that tank top underneath. But, uh, but then I think, you know, I instantly would think back in my head, about when they're like you see them dropping and they're charging at chief and you know we get the craig meme and all that but like i'm thinking of that moment and i'm thinking like all these people fall under the umbrella of this mentality yeah and that's just such a such an exciting facet i think like you said brian like we haven't and really had before because like, it's, it's been done with before. the sort of where everyone else in the halo universe is at where you know they've been through these long horrific wars this 30-year war the human covenant um conflict and everything but the banished They've been off on the side. They've been watching and building up their strength. And they're like, you guys are tired? We're ready to go. <laughs> Let's yeah. fight this out. Uh, yeah, dude. And, <laughs> oh, and it, offers, it offers these other avenues for really interesting things to crop up. Because, And I, for anybody listening, this is a very, very small spoiler. You only have to skip ahead 20 seconds. Um, Shadows of Reach establishes that the... Uh, what's, that, what's that section of Covenant that still believes in... Um, the great journey, but they associate with the banished because keepers they need to. Keepers of the one truth. The, the keepers of the one truth, yeah. So that's such a cool concept to me too, is like now you have people who, you have these covenant that still believe in the great journey, but they're like, okay, well, the, but the banished, you know, they're kind of a big deal. So I'm going to go ahead and ride that train, even though I don't really agree with their ideology. Sorry, it's the keepers of the one so. freedom, not one truth. I'm thinking of the servants of the abiding okay. truth. Okay, <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, so there's just, there's just a lot of cool uh, avenues to take there and, I don't even know why suddenly I just have shadows of reach in the mind and I'm like, and just all these concepts of having like, you know, the, the banished, the, the, they want power, they want strength, they want might, rule. You have the keepers doing that one, you know, doing their thing and associating. And then you have like, even though Cortana wasn't it, Cortana being bad with the Guardians wasn't the most interesting twist in five. Now she's kind of this background presence. Mm-hmm in the universe and it's kind of unique it's kind of neat it's like okay i can kind of get behind like she's out there with this rule she's kind of it's almost like the empire in star wars like it's always kind of over top of you and i kind of like that so yeah, yeah you're I always really... kind of having to look over your shoulder there's that sense of anxiety i think going yeah on. But then you have really what's cool. happened with the uh, the ring being shattered in this cataclysmic event perhaps she was part of that and uh, we don't know what uh, i'm sure part of infinite will be finding out what's happened that mystery, man. That's just another yeah. part of it. Like Anytime mystery, you create that it's, it's mystery so cool. and you drop that damn piano chord, that iconic <laughs> chord, I'm like, I'm there. I don't care uh, Josh, what you're doing. Do, so. do you want to give us give us another one? We'll make it kind of like one kind of uh, last pull quote for us to kind of conversate about. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, we'll do out. two from this one because they, they, they're okay. a, bit, uh, a bit similar. Uh, Ryan Payton, who was uh, at one point the Halo 4 creative director and narrative designer, said... Some of this stuff I found interesting, especially, he said, I was full speed ahead on the project for two years, not sticking my head above water or caring much for much outside of the game except for my family. Every book I read was related to Halo. Every movie I watched was for Halo 4. Every game I played was for Halo 4. I was 100% in. Then one day, I was informed that I was no longer creative director. Effective immediately, I was now narrative director in a diminished role and not managing the design team. That was a hard day. Now, this is, for me personally, like, one of the most, like, the biggest, I guess, pieces I was able to pluck where I where I personally started to realize, like, man, even though I don't hear it talked about as much, Halo 4's development was not all rainbows and sunshines. Yeah. So, you know, like... I can't remember. Do we know why? Yeah, um, we do. Demoted? 
Um, well, I expect we'll get into that a bit more if uh, Josh has got a bit more to say on the quote there. No, that's actually it. There's, oh, okay. a, there's another bit he talks about some things, so we might circle back around. Yeah, so he does talk about a bit later is that, um, and this was a thing at the time as well, back in 2011, 2012, um, he had a fundamentally different vision for what Halo 4 should be. He was, he had a lot more sort of like out there kind of ideas, which have since come to fruition in Halo 5. So for instance, uh, he says that, oh, you know, Halo's a game about shooting. What if we had a level where you don't do any of that at all? And that manifests in Halo 5 as the weapons down missions that uh, have been somewhat contentious. And he had these kinds of, because he came from sort of more of a Japanese kind of uh, game design background. He had these more sort of, you know, out there ideas that uh, you see in those kinds of games. Whereas 343 was a bit more sort of conservative about staying true to Halo. And this is interesting because at the time when Ryan Payton had announced his departure from the project, uh, everyone took it to mean that he wanted to make a Halo game and 343 was saying, no, we're going to do our own thing. When in reality, it was the opposite way around. He wanted to do all these, you know, completely different sort of new ideas. 343 was saying, we're not sure we're there yet. To, we don't have the kind of you know credibility to kind of go in make these different leap. directions. Yeah, make those big leaps. So we're going to stay a bit more kind of ground and familiar in what's known as we you know learn this process. And when this happened, I'm sorry, Brian. When this happened and this came out, was there any sense of concern in the community or anxiety that was induced from this, or was it just kind of like okay, you know, most people just kind of. Uh, it was absolutely. It was a storm at the time. It's very similar to what's been going on recently with like you know Tim Longo and uh, and Chris Lee departing the project. And part of it is just the reality of game development is that you know you get to a certain part in a project where you know th- those roles aren't necessarily needed quite as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, it's very much like we don't know the truth, the reality behind it, and we can only speculate. But it's very easy to generate those news cycles about like, oh, there's all these issues happening behind the scenes and that. And, you know, to an extent, there probably are because that's just the nature of, of how development goes. But it's not always the kind of like hostile takeover as things are framed. And of course, as we know, we got Josh Holmes as the uh, creative director on Halo 4 after Ryan Payton. And uh, he gave his heart and soul into the project in that uh, in that final year. Yeah, what do you think, Brian? Yeah, well, I, I just think it's, yeah, I mean, like you guys have kind of already touched on, it's just super important to not um, to not try to foster, I mean, really, they become rumors. You don't know. You don't know the truth. Um, and I think Josh and I mentioned on a podcast way in the past that, like, with Brian Reed, as we mentioned earlier, like, uh, you know, pretty, pr- the large consensus is Halo 5 had a weak story. That's definitely how all three of us feel here, I believe, mm-hmm. overall. And, um, but it's like, so Brian Reed takes a lot of heat for that, but it's like, we don't, we don't actually know all the logistics. There might've been, uh, an instance where there was some story beats that he had to stick to. So story beats that he, that he was told can have to be, uh, touched on. I don't know any of this. And if I'm saying something that you know, otherwise, Alex, feel free to chime in. But like, they could have said, you know, this, this certain story beat has to happen, or we can't allow this. And, you know, He's not the only one responsible. Yeah, there was um, a tweet that he made back in 2016, I remember, as uh, Rogue One was coming out. I don't know if you remember, but there was all this speculation about Rogue One reshoots and, oh, the film's going to be ruined and everything. I just remember him making this this offhand tweet saying, man, I wish games would have, uh, you know, the same opportunity for reshoots as films allegedly do. 
and that you know read into that what you will but uh yeah that is a distinct memory i have of uh of something that he oh said. that's interesting yeah it just it just goes to show like we we just i mean if the fact is if you if you don't know you don't know yeah. and, and don't 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 spin a narrative that that you do uh there is a large possibility that uh maybe you know the story was weak because Brian Reed wrote a, a story that didn't resonate well, and it, it was largely his issue. I'm not saying that's not possible, um, but we don't know. And uh, so to, to just kind of uh, make those hot takes or, or, or blame somebody for that, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't really benefit anything. And I think it's the same thing, which this is kind of goes back to where I was talking about earlier, where it's like Sacred Icon Halo provides this, Alex provides that. I really appreciated when there was all this hysteria around Infinite. And, you know, oh, creative director, you know, Chris Lee's gone and you know, oh, Joe's coming in and all this stuff. Yeah. You know, as our prerogative, a sacred icon, we just want to stay enthusiastic and positive as far as at least we're more welcome to discourse and talking in a platform like this, you know, the podcast. But on Twitter, we're more just like, let's keep it enthusiastic, positive, whatever. So I didn't have a lot to put on the sacred icon halo in regards to Chris Lee leaving because, you know, that's just not our angle, but Alex was Sad, very much, man. yeah, Alex was very much there kind of clarifying through his own tweet thread of like, you know, this, I've met Chris, Chris is a great guy, sad to see him leave, you know, this and this is happening. It doesn't necessarily mean, and like Alex already said just a moment ago, I'm sure there are some real problems. Game development is insane. Yeah, um, but it doesn't necessarily but, mean and there's trouble in paradise. I mean, even yeah. even if I like would think there are with some aspects, like doesn't always equate to that. And having someone like Alex, he, Alex, like someone with influence in the community, kind of saying, hey, I don't know for sure anything particularly, but I know this. Here's the two things I know are true. You know, Chris Lee's a good guy. Game development goes like this sometime. You know, it's possible that the narrative isn't just that the the whole building's on fire. Right. <laughs> I, I work in the industry now, of course, so I have more sort of visibility on yes. how these things operate yeah. and work. And believe me, like, the the sort of idea people get of this, like, perfect artistic confluence of everything just going right it's like it's never true never once is it true it is about compromise and sacrifice every step of the way for a whole bunch of things that nobody really knows a whole lot about like in this sort of community all these behind the scenes things which don't necessarily um, have this sort of front-facing presence you know right down to things like localization like when you when you talk about game scripts and stuff like that there's just so much that we don't really have the authority to say this is what it is specifically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there, I yeah, I mean, there was a, go ahead, Brian. Go ahead. I'll remember. Well, I was just, just going to say that, uh, you know, I'm sure the three of us here are all very aware of all the stuff we've heard about uh, original star Wars movie, you know, and how it was saved in the edit. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of different um, techniques that were done to make what they had, better i know that there wasn't han supposed to be like a creepy alien like (laughs) you know in in some sense you know being a young george lucas and trying to get your vision brought to screen i can't imagine how many times he thought this isn't what i wanted i wanted this dude to be an alien i wanted this to go a different way this is how it looked in my head it's still a bit fanatical to look at a new hope itself and just see like you all I, i don't know if you knew this brian but so many films back then like you had to have opening credits before the movie actually oh started, yeah he yeah, you know? I didn't know about and he didn't yeah. he was just like i'm not gonna do like yeah he wants to just, not do that yeah it's crazy to think like you know when that he was by the time you know the original star wars was done george lucas is probably maybe he's really happy that it's done and he's excited for it but he's probably going man i made so many compromises along the way mm. things did not go the way one of course it came out blew the world away and we're still talking about star wars as this huge 
mega thing mm-hmm. 45 years later. So um, just like Alex said, you know, uh, and of course, I don't claim to know as much as Alex or, or anybody else, but these things are a series of compromises through so many people, so many avenues, you know, like you said, localization, marketing, timeframes. It's amazing we get the quality that we do from anything. Yeah, there was a documentary out here in the States on Netflix of For Honor, like just a documentary on the Mm. video games development. And uh, I watched that. It came out sometime shortly after the game released, and and I had beaten the campaign already. You know, it's it's kind of uh, more tacked onto the multiplayer if you guys have played it. But uh, the interesting thing about it was the guy who was sort of the... I can't remember his positioning, and I don't want to misrepresent him, but he was sort of the one sort of in charge of the lore and and just kind of coming up with that sense of direction. You can clearly see that this game definitely had a a different structure in the first half of its development, but then suddenly there was a bit of a, like for them at least, not saying this is for everyone obviously, but there was a bit of a communication breakdown, and he would get more sort of isolated and kind of put more shoved in the back as the game started to transition more to this is going to be a multiplayer-centric game with sort of the the campaign story tacked on. And you see how that affected him and changed him. And, like, when you guys talk about the compromises, that just makes me think that. Because that I, I feel like, personally, that's a, a, a good example of compromises, or, or not even really getting compromises, but just things kind of going bad. I mean, I think For Honor is a great game. I love it. But that's really, you see how that affects him and stuff like that. But then you have these other ones, and it's... It, it, basically, to, to summarize, we... We don't know. We're not there. You know, we're not flies on the wall. We're not showing up there every day and punching in and, and speculating's fun because it lets us, you know, wax on on you know what's it, it lets us try to, to try to bring a sense of rationality to what's going on. But more often than not, it always creates a sense of panic because you just you know it, it's 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 like a BuzzFeed article. You just see the clickbait and you, you know you it's just funny like, because it's like it's like we're sitting there as fans. We're going. I watched the Halo Two documentary. I know what it's like to be a developer. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I exactly. watched it. It's like you no, really understand dude, like, you got an hour and a half of flying, like, being footage. a fly on the wall when there is this game was being developed for years. But and you of get course, an hour as and a documentary by by Bungie, they're not going to be showing you the absolute worst of the worst. There, the worst you're seeing there is like the best. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you like, hear about price... them having arguments and stuff like that. I mean, you could briefly see that in there, but you know, there's a bigger picture of that going on that they don't want people to see, and rightfully so. I mean, that's none of our business. So, I, I go ahead, Brian. Uh, no, actually, no. I, I oh, okay. I was just going to say, say that. I mean, it's definitely, to... it's definitely something that, you know, with any of these games, I mean, like, especially with, I think, Halo 3, you know, like when I was reading this article, one of the things it mentioned was that, you know, uh, oh my God, I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now. Uh, not Pete Parsons. Jason Jones was just, you know, to his fault he tended to just dip. You know, <laughs> just went on a long sabbatical. Yeah. Yes. So, and, and with Halo 3, even though they kind of had the broad, out, broad outline, they had the broad <laughs> outline from where, you know, Halo 2 unfortunately ended on that cliffhanger. They, they kind of knew where they were wanting to go originally with Halo 2 and were able to apply that. But then you also had, uh, you had this sort of committee, just like you had with Halo 2 in a lot of ways, you know, because Jason wasn't there to sort of steward things. Well, then you have all those compromises having to be made and people who all have different ideas trying to figure out, yep. try, trying to get it on a sense of linearity where, where can we, where can we go? Because there's no leader, you know, the no, no successor has been sort of honored by, by Jason. Then you've got this, all these sort of politics and arguments that break out and yeah. suddenly nobody can agree on how they want to design the game. 
Yeah, I think I, I think we'll we'll talk about it a bit more in the next episode. But I think uh, Jamie Grisamir was talking about how uh, it, it might be in there. I might have it in my notes. Might not. But he did mention about how it got to a point where there were a lot of these meetings he was having to attend, and it, it, it got to a point where he was just like, "What am I doing here? Like, is, like nothing's <laughs> being done." And also, like, my, what is my influence? I think some of that might have been more for. Uh, Destiny, when I think it was like originally like Dragon's Tavern or something like that in its early development, something to that effect or whatever that was called. But yeah, I mean, it goes to show you like it, there, there's definitely a it's not it's just not easy. And and we we think we know when we try to fill in those blanks, but man, we have no well, idea. I was like, well, guys, this, it's crazy how little of the ground we've actually covered. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm like, two, I really thought in two episodes. We really thought, guys. I, I had told them before this. I thought we were gonna maybe this is gonna maybe be two episodes. But I'm looking at this and I I probably got we probably got about 25 percent more left to cover of this. And that's story. just for our first section. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Uh, so is, who knows, guys? Who knows how long this could go? But uh, make sure you uh, reach out to us or reach out to uh, Alex to just let them know uh, that you enjoy this and uh, we're hoping to bring these episodes uh, at least try to get at least one a week about 90 minutes all the way till we get to the point that game launches so you know we'll probably be playing and that's not the end we got the campaign breakdowns we got to talk oh, about yeah, okay, say, we'll be we got playing Spartan Halo we got multiplayer Forge we got the legacy we got all yeah, that. we'll be playing Halo Infinite before we finish this series. <laughs> but uh, the nice thing is, we don't know how long it's going to be till Infinite comes out. So this is this is the perfect time for us to to get into something like this, a long form Halo Four retrospective. And if you guys have listened from the beginning, we have an MCC retrospective and we have a Halo Five retrospective, and those are both about one. They were both one episode, and they were four or five hours each. And we wanted to do something a lot more elaborate for four. And when we pitched that to Alex, you know, he was like, oh, elaborate? I like that. <laughs> yeah. like, let's, I like that I don't have to condense And Alex has been a episode. huge help with that for me guys behind the scenes. Um, and we will, you guys will definitely get to see that when it gets more into the sort of breakdowns especially. But, I mean, it, yeah. this has been uh, incredibly fun. Uh, I can't wait for us to get back next week and talk more, uh, kind of close this sort of arc, if you will, on this passing of the torch <laughs> with our conversations are rambling all around. I'm loving it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, anything more you have to say, Brian or Alex? No, I think that's it. All right, guys, uh, thank you so much for joining us for another episode. We will see you next week, and as always, keep it sacred.